Hi, I'm Michael White from Lean Towards Joy. This is the podcast that talks about just that, how leaning towards joy can change every part of your life. In this five-part series, we will be chatting with therapists that have made the transition from an agency setting to their own private practice. Some have thriving private practices, some have opened up their own agencies, and some have joined online platforms. The one thing that they all have in common is that they too were once newly licensed and faced with the decision to go out on their own. This series will discuss what helped them make that transition to private practice and what tips or lessons they can share with the rest of us. So if you're a newly licensed therapist or looking to move in your career, then this episode's for you. Even if you're not a therapist, these stories transfer across multiple industries. These are people that lean towards their joy, followed their passion, and are shining their light. Today, I'm excited for my conversation with Don Delgado. Don has two decades of clinical experience and has been certified in EMDR therapy for almost 10 years. She has been trained in trauma-informed yoga and holds a certificate in traumatic stress studies. Not only does Dawn run her own private practice and um, in California, but she also supports clinicians across the nation. She works with clients to help let go of what has been blocking their happiness, success, self-love, and joy, which makes her a perfect fit for today's podcast. So welcome. Thank you so much, Michael. I'm really grateful to be here and and I'm grateful that we connected. Yeah. Um, let's start by just kind of sharing a little like, you know, early stages of your career and kind of like what led you to both private practice and then, you know, your group practice. Sure, sure. Um, the nutshell version is I've been working in mental health for over 20 years, um, getting my early experience during my undergraduate and graduate um, training and education. And I've worked in a variety of settings, a lot of them volunteer early on, and then just gaining clinical experience. Um, Everything from community clinics, domestic violence shelters. I used to take um, suicide hotline calls at night from my dorm. Um, I have worked in psych hospitals. I've worked with adult male sex offenders. I've been an advocate for um, children in domestic violence situations. And then I I found myself specializing uh, kind of early on on accident um, when I started working in the eating disorder recovery um, treatment realm. And from there, I was so fascinated with what I was learning and the clientele and, and the multitude of um, mental health uh, comorbidities that that were going along, along with the eating disorder um, behaviors that I just kind of stuck with that for a number of years and really kind of specialized in trauma, which I had been seeing and working with in all the other settings, and then also the eating disorder specialty. Um, so I, I started in that while I was finishing up my graduate school, getting my licensure and worked across all levels of care with that population. Um, finally, starting my private practice, which for many, many years was just a small side side practice, side hustle for me while I was um, working through the ranks of those uh, treatment centers. And I started that private practice in like 2007. So it's been there for quite some time. It was just very, very small, couple of clients. and. Um, in my my training in 
the eating disorder and mental health treatment realm. I kind of worked through the ranks, gaining a lot of, of business experience, um, working into like clinical development roles and business development roles. And that really shaped and, and formed my career, um, which was a launching point for, you know, what I'm doing now. And the rest has been like an organic um, evolution of just like you. I think this is why I'm so grateful to be doing this, this podcast with you. I love just leading, supporting other clinicians and really helping to, to change and shift the paradigm of what we can do in our careers um, yeah. It is a high burnout career, um, and there there are ways that we can make it, you know, balanced, sustainable, profitable, enjoyable, and completely enriching. And so my my group practice and uh, a lot of my consultation with other therapists has has moved in that direction of supporting people to create these, you know, joyful. Um, I love how you say heart centered and, and joyful, yeah. you know, businesses yeah. that, that, um, that can be sustainable and, and re- reduce the burnout rates. So that was kind of a, a longer than a nutshell version, but no, um, I think that, I think that was great. And I think, um, you know, it really, it really kind of helped shape how you got to where you were, especially like, you know, I, I read in the, in, in the beginning of just like, you know, trained in trauma and, and, you know, and it's like, no, you, you, you were self-trained and so much of like that, that you had so much experience with that trauma. And so that kind of leads into, you know, there's, there's a whole group of people listening and, you know, some of them either aren't therapists or could be therapists or can you explain for someone that either isn't as familiar because they've been doing it for a while and, or just, it's not in their, you know, in their world yet of like exactly kind of why EMDR, you know, because I know that obviously there's quite a link to that and, and and trauma. Yeah, absolutely. I I was working with trauma for a, a long time before I found um, the EMDR training. And when I found and became basic trained in, in EMDR, it really changed my whole my whole mentality and my whole clinical paradigm of of how I was looking at um, trauma and looking at treating trauma. And the structure, the eight phase um, process and structure of EMDR just helps to organize and put um, structure and containment to something that's so very difficult for us to understand and explain. So that eight phase process, um, one, I had a complete aha, like breakthrough moment in my my, uh, clinical training in practice work with another clinician. Sometimes in in professional presentations, I tell that story, but it was a complete eye-opening, like aha moment. Um, and then two, I saw I saw the the effects. I saw the changes that were happening um, really more efficiently uh, and in a more structured manner than you know talk therapy. Um, so for me, it completely changed um, the way that I that I look at. Um, clinically assessing trauma, both like small T and large T. Um, It puts structure to it. It helps clients to organize it in their mind and in their psyche. And then all other treatment modalities fit within that. So sometimes there's a little bit of a, you know, competition mentality with different types of of training modalities, but everything fits into those eight phases. So I have trauma-informed yoga, ACT, CBT, and CBT, 
everything that I've learned, you know, I'm trained in hypnosis, Reiki, I'm trained in a, a whole lot of things. They all fit within that, you know, eight phase structure, but it just allows us to be able to assess um, where we're going, where the roadmap is, you know, how the clients can safely uh, approach reprogramming their brain. We don't want to take them, you know, too quick or too slow into mm -hmm. that. And then it creates a future template for clients, you know, how to integrate this work and then how to move forward in their day-to-day -day life um, with this new kind of reprogrammed mindset. So for me, it's been um, just a structure that's invaluable. I, I wish and I, I believe that every clinician should get this framework as part of their um, clinical training and and. Um, the research is is tremendous. And it doesn't have to be either or. Yeah. It's something that I use, you know, in conjunction, integrated with with other modalities as well. That's great. And I think um, from my understanding, and, um, you know, again, this is from someone who just helps therapists who isn't trained in, in therapy in any case, um, you know, way, but um, I do talk to a lot of, of therapists and they're like, well, specifically even like eating disorders, like, there's, I can tell as a, you know, I'm speaking like a therapist, I, I can tell as a therapist that this is linked to their trauma, but they aren't ready to like talk or, you know, deal with that trauma yet. But from my understanding is EMDR, like, even if your client is not ready to talk about that trauma, they can still do EMDR successfully. Is that correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a variety of different ways that you can, as a clinician, help the client again in their safety to do restricted reprocessing, you know, you know, keeping them safe and keeping, it's kind of like bumper bowling where you have the bumpers moving down the lane and you just keep them in a safe place. So they're not going off the rails. So we're able to guide and direct our clients, you know, in that way, or for someone who's more functional, high, higher functioning and, and has more adaptive, positive adaptive memory networks, we can let them go and their minds will just clear out all kinds of old limiting beliefs, you know, negative beliefs and, and traumas. So we, we have the tools to direct the reprocessing in a, in a way and in, in a manner that's safe for them. So I've supported clinicians with doing EMDR with clients who speak a different language. Mm. Um, so that's been interesting yeah. where we came up with some hand gestures and, you know, it's it's interesting that the clinician doesn't even have to know necessarily what's being reprocessed as mm -hmm. long as they have enough information to guide them safely. Yeah. So um, we don't have to know what trauma they're reprocessing if they really don't feel comfortable. Again, yeah. as long as we have enough information to keep them safe um, and then we can help them, you know, stay focused on just the food or just the pizza if, if it's a disordered eating client. And maybe not go back to all of the trauma, you know, at the root mm -hmm. uh, uh, that started that that particular disorder. So there's a lot of freedom within that. And part of what I do in my consultation with um, EMDR therapists is to help them learn the structure and then to integrate it with their like intuition, their clinical instincts, and their um, creativity to really, if they're feeling an instinct, to go with that and to guide the client, you know, in the way that feels good to them within the structure. That's awesome. Thank you. Thanks for kind of elaborating sure. a little bit more on that. Cause obviously, um, 
you've definitely you know found your niche of like this is this is definitely going to be my focus um and building can you um because we talked just briefly of that you have a group practice can you get into a little more detail of kind of like what that looks like and then i just kind of want to touch upon kind of the early stages of that um but just kind of sure. explain a little bit of like you know a little bit about the emdr collective that that you know sure. as it exists today <laughs> yeah absolutely um as it exists today emdr collective is you know it's kind of a baby group practice it's a small uh, intimate team of us um they're all licensed clinicians we're currently in the states of california and oregon likely expanding in 2023 likely by coastal and um, bringing together other small practices under under the EMDR collective umbrella. But right now we're in California and Oregon, all um, virtual, which EMDR has been quite effective virtual. Um, and we are all licensed clinicians, EMDR basic trained. Many of, many of my clinicians are working towards um, their EMDR certification as well as like other specialties. So I have an eating disorder recovery team because of my decades of experience in that realm. And everybody has some um, trauma training and the EMDR uh, basic training. So it's a highly specialized um, group. And we, I still meet with all the clients, talk with all the clients and, and kind of match make and pair them up with the clinician that I believe would best suit their needs. Someday I may not do that part, but yeah. I still like to have hands on and, and to meet everyone that's coming into the collective. Yeah. Well, I think it, I think it, um, you know, helps keep it a successful group practice, you know, like that it's still, everyone kind of you, you know that organically everyone kind of fits together um you know and it also kind of defines i think the difference between a, a group practice like yours and someone that's just about kind of the bottom line you know which um you know th yeah. those exist out there um yeah when when you what kind of make you because i know that you said you while you were still working within the agency, you started just, you know, um, a few, you know, private pay, um, you know, clients on the side or private practice. Um, I'm not sure if they were private pay or through insurance, but, um, what made you take the step to group practice? Was it like, okay, I'm going to go start my, leave the agency and start a group practice. Or did you start kind of your private practice first and then expand when the demand just got, you know, too much? Yeah, great question. Um, I left the larger behavioral health agencies in uh, 2020. So it was kind of around the time our whole world was changing. Mm -hmm. And I really felt like my contribution and my legacy was complete at that time in um, what I had grown, developed and and been a part of the, the leadership of. So I stepped away and, and um, went back into just private practice. So I built that up. The pandemic was a whole experience for mental health clinicians. So I was pretty busy, pretty full. A lot of us were just trying to facilitate the number of clients that were, you know, reaching out for help and, and um, doing our very best to, to accommodate the, the need. Um, and it wasn't until, it wasn't until last year, 2022, I launched EMDR Collective. And that was really out of the, the intersection of um, my experience with leadership and wanting to support other clinicians mm -hmm. um, in, you know, again, creating sustainable, um, balanced businesses. And um, 
people were asking, you know, people eventually clinicians want to leave um, the more structured agencies. Eventually they want to branch out. They have some confidence under their, their belts. They want to um, brand, branch out and experience private practice, which can be intimidating and can be um, a little isolating for sure. a lot of people. And um, I think because of the years of experience leading in that realm, a lot of the clinicians felt safe and comfortable with me to kind of guide them. And um, at whatever stage of independence or handholding, they they wanted to help them start to build, you know, a caseload and get a taste of that private practice with mitigated risk because there's a group and because there's consultation available and um, for certifications available. Um, so yeah, so it was kind of organic in in that realm, and then um, people, you know, want want to join, and and we're organically starting to to grow and expand out those services. That's great. And um, when you know you talk about kind of that isolation piece, and you know you definitely feel that you know going, especially coming from an agency where you have this giant you know, behemoth behind you sometimes of like support and attorneys and, you know, um, hospital beds, maybe, you know, depending on, you know, the type of clinic you're in. How did you, because, you know, I would imagine with the MDR work, you're still working with quite a few trauma, um, you know, clients. And with that, there comes, um, you know, more just, you know, people in crisis. And so um, when you, I guess, were you still seeing those people in private practice and then went to group practice? Or I guess one of the things that I'm trying to get at is the fear that some therapists have going out on their own and being like, well, I don't have that support. Like I don't have, you know, if my client goes into crisis, I can't be there at 3 a.m. to answer the phone call. Like I, I'm, I'm home with my kids or, you know, whatever it is. Um, or like, I don't know if I have hospital beds around me to, 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 to send them to, or, you know, kind of, how do you, how do you approach that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and, and that can be quite, you know, intimidating. I think it's really important in any form of private practice to have some kind of support network and peer, you know, consultation. So um, I've offered those for EMDR consultation and at times for the certified eating disorder specialist um, certification, which often requires a lot of like assessing safety, assessing need for hospitalization, you know, working with medical, um, stepping up to higher levels of care, sometimes 5150, you know, emergency psych psychiatric um, holds, all of that. So a lot of that people learn in working with agencies. I think that is one of the benefits of getting that experience under your belt for a year or a couple of years mm -hmm. or, or much longer. Um, and then it's just vital for us to have those people that we can peer consult with. Um, and part of what I've built in the group practice is some clinicians may require very little consultation or may want very little consultation and others know that they can text me if they have a client that's in crisis and they need, you know, some, um, support with getting a hospital bed or, um, working on the boundary with crisis management in an outpatient setting. So um, 
I think that's something that just takes a little, you know, confidence building, knowing the resources that are around you, knowing how to initiate those processes, learning the boundaries of what you can and can't, you know, do to support clients yeah. in, in outpatient practice. Um, and then we all, you know, after 20 years, I still have a therapist friend that I'll text and be like, do you have two minutes? Like, I got to balance this off you. Am I out of line? Is this work? You know, is this right? Like what? And we have to have that because yeah. um, we're only as, you know, we're only as, as good and effective as we are like resourced ourselves. Yeah. And I, I think also to it, the, the, one of the keywords I picked up there was boundaries of kind of know, knowing, knowing your own limitations and, and not that it's something limiting within you, but it's like, no, this is a clear boundary I'm going to set. And like, because you don't want to get back into the old burnout habits of being, you know, in a, uh, you know, when you were in the clinic, um, yeah, or, you know, wherever you came from before. So, yeah. um, do you, um, do you take insurance in your group practice? I don't take insurance. Okay. So you, so you've, so you've, um, opted to not, and I know there's many, I've chatted with many people that do and many people that don't, and I can understand the pros and cons. Can you share a little bit of why you chose not to? Sure. Sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm really grateful to one of my early mentors who, um, you know, like you do for so many kind of helped me to get the confidence to, to start my private practice. And, um, the advice to me at that time, I was still working in the agencies was, you know, just do straight, straight, um, out of pocket, you can slide your scale if you choose to, but you're in control of, you know, collections, you're, you're not chasing the insurance companies. And I think with my 20 years of working in agencies and working with insurance companies and, and managed care, um, which is so valuable to so many people, um, I just made the decision that my private practice would be different. And the way I conceptualize it is, um, especially now with my group practice, we can slide our scales, you know, we can pro bono. I've done a lot of pro bono work over the years. We can adjust that based on need and people's ability to pay. However, the amount of time, you know, exerted, um, in my opinion, in, you know, collecting from insurance companies and working through their systems, um, inhibits our ability to provide more access to clients. So I'd rather have the hours be directed to direct client care and make, you know, our own decisions about a sliding scale um, versus, you know, maybe like adjusting paperwork and going back and forth to try to collect um, from an insurance company. So it's a personal um, yeah. decision. And I honor people who, who do choose to get paneled and, and who do um, accept insurance. Yeah. No, that's, that's a great, um, that's a great explanation. Cause it's definitely, there's a lot to consider. Um, you know, and I think, I think it's important to come from a, to try to get to a place of coming from like, okay, here are the pros and cons, not from a place of fear of like, well, if I'm not paneled, there's not going to be enough people to pay me or I lose that like that marketing piece of being on that, you know, that particular insurer's website or, you know, what directory or whatever it may be. Um, so that's kind of good to hear kind of, you know, that perspective on it. Yeah. Especially with the, the sliding scale piece and everything. 
Yeah. And I would just add to that, that is, you know, one of the benefits of potentially joining an already existing like reputable group practice is there's typically somebody, you know, in charge of that practice, running that practice with longevity in the field, a bit of a reputation, you know, some marketing um, pull. And often as, you know, newer clinicians or newer to private practice clinicians, that's the intimidating piece is building up, um, you know, word of mouth referrals, a reputation, you know, distinguishing yourself from all of the other clinicians out there on um, psychology today and some of the other advertising sites. So yeah, a big part of the pull, you know, into EMDR collective is from, you know, I did professional presentations for two years on trauma and on eating disorders and EMDR and, so there's some some weight behind that that um, clinicians get to kind of slide right into and start building a reputation with that group practice. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that from a previous conversation we had about um, kind of like a past life of like helping um, kind of build up these practices within the the agency that you worked at. Um, so you had a little bit more experience coming in a little bit more of the confidence coming into your own private practice, but can you think of any like obstacles that either you, that you didn't anticipate that you kind of, you know, weren't quite ready for, or like still any kind of hurdles that you still had to kind of overcome or are still working on, you know, to try to, to, um, you know, to go out on your own. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, that's a really good question. And it, it, you know, really comes back to the the clinician and their their skill set and their interests. I happen to have a very balanced like left right brain and and I like um, you know building my own websites and and doing search engine optimization and and Google Analytics and I I love all that stuff. Um, I think that can often be like intimidating and and when I first started my private practice, I didn't have any of that knowledge or understanding. So the marketing end, um, beyond like face-to-face lunches and, and meet and greets, kind of the, the whole digital realm of the, the marketing and, and advertising was a big question mark to me. So that was a challenge that I leaned into and I learned that I really like that. I like looking at the analytics. I like seeing what search terms people are putting in. And I see all of that as some people may see that as, um, you know, separate from client care. I see all of that as what are your clients looking for? You know, how can Mm -hmm. they reach you and how can we bridge that? So when they're in crisis, you know, at night and they're typing desperately words into Google, like how can we help them find us? And for some people, when they see that, it's not just the back end. It's how do you help someone in crisis and how do you throw them a, a rope when they, when they're really, you know, trying to get out of the quicksand Um, so I kind of trained myself to like that, but I think that that is a challenge for a lot of people, um, coming into private practice and managing the the budget side of things. How much are you spending in advertising per month? You know, how much are you, um, outputting to your, your website and these different avenues? Um, I, I like that numbers piece as well, but I think services like yours are so valuable in helping, people to to take that leap and helping them to understand what they don't understand yet um, and empowering them to, to be able to run the business side. Um, I hear time and time again, that's 
people are intimidated by that business side. I mean, yeah. administrative side. Yeah. Well, cause you go through all, you know, like, look at, look at all of your training and nowhere in that training did I hear business, you know? And it's like, right. unfortunately, whether you like it or not, like you're an entrepreneur, you're a small business. Like when you go out on your own and you start a private practice, this is, this is something that like your marketing does matter. Budgeting does matter. Um, yeah. you know, and it, and it doesn't have to be scary. Um, have you found, cause you started your, your private practice in 2007, like, have you seen, um, cause we haven't really touched up, you know, much upon or, or heard from other people talk about like the marketing piece of it, but obviously it's, it's critical, especially if you have a niche, like in a, in a smaller, just individual private practice, but especially if you decide to do group work and, you know, have this organization that specializes in X, um, have you found a major, change with just social media since obviously it's changed dramatically since 2007 um you know or is it still kind of kind of that search engine you know optimization of like when they you know one of the nice things i like about google is like you type in one thing and then it gives you a whole list of questions underneath and it's like those questions right. didn't come out of nowhere those questions came from everyone typing those questions in and so like you can use that as a resource towards like what you put on your website and things like that but um have you noticed a big shift with um like are you trying to do anything more on social or how, how does that kind of yeah. translate for you good good questions again i mean i'll be i'll be very transparent i'm not great at the social game yeah <laughs> i I um, don't think I've generated any leads for my social media. I had a wonderful person running it for me um, for a while and I just don't do that well. Yeah. So um, maybe I'll, I will someday what, what I prefer. And early on in, um, in my private practice, it was all just word of mouth, people who knew yeah. me and referrals or step downs from treatment centers. Um, so I kind of had the mentality back then um, in a very sweet, naive way of just build it and they'll come, you know, they'll yeah. come. Field of I'm dreams, like, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm a great clinician. So here's yeah. my like, cute website and like, find me. Um, but now, you know, now it's really um, mostly like analytics driven, um, yeah. you know, with, as I explained earlier, helping clients to to find us and helping clients to understand what is EMDR? You know, is it right for me? Like, what can I do? I've tried to go through my website and, and I've pulled other people and, and put together like a Q and a, um, that I can absolutely improve on, but just answering some of the questions that people want to know. A lot of people still think that EMDR is just for trauma. And my main, you know, bulk of my own, um, client base is like peak performance. I work with artists, you know, CEOs, entrepreneurs, um, athletes in using EMDR for like peak performance, removing writer's block or removing creative blocks. So as well as, you know, working with war veterans who have a significant, you know, PTSD and complex PTSD. So, so, so in my website, I've tried to break down, you know, what is EMDR applicable um, to and to break down some of the myths around it's just, you know, for trauma. Um, because a lot of people still will say, oh, I don't need that. Um, and my personal opinion is we all need that when you understand yeah. what it is, your yeah, brain exactly. holds on to things that a teacher said in the second grade, or that your parents said when you were four years old, like when you understand how that's programmed into your brain, we all need that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, 
So yeah, it, it has changed and it's continuing to change. And some pieces I do really well and some pieces um, I don't do that well. <laughs> well, sure. And, you know, and I guess it also depends on like, you know, uh, the demographic of who you're bringing in, you know, depending on your practice and like, you know, obviously there's, there's a certain demographic that just lives, you know, just on social and, and, um, you know, but I like what you're doing of um, just putting more information out, you know, whether it's on your website, or if you, you know, if you have a social just like content, 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 because like, the more you give someone, like, I think the more you're going to get back. And so, you know, it's kind of the thing that I do, I, I give so much away, like, I don't think there's anything that I speak in like individual consultations that you probably can't find that I've said somewhere for free. You know, right. um, I still love the face to face, you know, confrontations. And like, that's, that's how I can afford to do, you know, what I do is because, you know, that's how it works. But, um, you know, I just try to put so much out there for free. And, I, and it feels like the information that you're putting out, like through your website, and like the Q and A's, it's like, it's really getting people to understand, you know, the more information people have, the better, you know, decisions they can, they can make based off of, you know, yeah. is it, is it for them? Is this the group practice I, you know, might be interested in working at and, and, and things like that? Yeah. And I think just to add to that, I think with like the mindset of like marketing and advertising, just having an abundance mindset that there are so many people that need help, you know, in, in this profession, it doesn't have to be competitive. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, I'm, I'm always, as you said, giving away information, every call, every client that comes in, I generally recommend, you know, two books, um, EMDR support books that if they can't afford therapy, Hey, get these two books. And one is written as a self-help. Um, and one is a workbook where they can track their progress. So every call is, Hey, here's this, you know, mm -hmm. and we're full or we're not right for you, you know, continue on with your journey if you need to, um, if you're on a budget, like read through this book and walk into your therapist with a, a list of what you want to work on yeah. uh, to help expedite the process. So I would rather treat more people, even for shorter periods of time, you know, more effectively, um, partially because we have that abundance mindset that we're here for whoever, you know, is coming through. We don't need to yeah. keep people in our practice for a year. We, you know, we don't need to compete with other practices to um, help people. We just need yeah. to be accessible and give people bridges and resources. And that's all we can do at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, I think you, I think you speak to those those blockages that, you know, that some people have of, you know, that, that, that lack mentality comes usually from those blocks. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's helpful once you kind of can help let, let go of that and be like, Oh, there is, there is enough for me and there's a space for me to fit in here. And, um, that's wonderful. Um, I think you've given us a ton of information. Um, before I wrap up, I'd love to take some time and, you know, plug anything you're developing or looking to share. This sure. will go on social. So, you know, this okay. podcast is social. So here's your. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Thanks for the help there. Um, well, I am EMDR Collective is hiring in the state of California. We're looking for licensed, um, licensed therapists. We are looking for EMDR basic trained therapists. I am in 2023 open to clinicians who um, don't yet have their EMDR.
CPR training, but are maybe specialized in like trauma-informed yoga or somatic awareness or another, you know, adjacent um, type trauma-focused um, uh, modality. And yeah, we're we're looking to expand that out. We're also um, I have a lot of things in in development. I have a, a company called Global Wellness Inc. And we're I'm in the process of developing a more integrative um, wellness concierge with different branches. So at one time we did have um, dietitians and a nutritionist on our team. I will again move into um, hiring and bringing on like a nutrition department as well as I do, I am involved in some psychedelic assisted psychotherapies. Um, and as the regulations and the laws are changing and, and it's becoming decriminalized and various states are, you know, starting to legalize for therapeutic purposes, that is another branch that we will be, that's in the works to build out. So those are kind of future um, things right now. We're hiring licensed clinicians. It's virtual work. Um, it's a great group practice. I offer consultations, um, group consultation for EMDR certification, and um, I'm a certified eating disorder specialist um, through the International Association of Eating Disorder Professionals. So we have a really rich group of clinicians that meets um, on a monthly basis to consult and and with specialties in in those arenas. So. Um, as I said, I always have lots of things in the works. I also live in Costa Rica and will be doing uh, retreats. I used to run a retreat company in Bali. I will again be doing therapeutic retreats in Costa Rica. So that's in like a stay tuned on my website. Um, just yeah, all things, all things like organic co-creation. So this year, my, my word for the year was um, co-creation. So yeah. I'm very happy and satisfied in where my career is. And I, I want to collaborate with others and help other people reach their, you know, um, business goals and, and life goals. So co-creating That's, across the board. That sounds awesome. Um, many, many plates that it sounds yeah. like, <laughs> um, so there's a lot state, like, a there's a lot of stay tuned. Um, where can people find you online for, uh, to um, kind of keep, keep up to, to what's happening next? Sure. EMDR-Collective is our group practice. Mm -hmm. um, I always have new information on dondelgado.com as well. Um, that has some of the uh, the Costa Rica retreats and things will be popping up on there um, as well. We are on Instagram, Facebook. I think that's where, and LinkedIn, I think that's where I drew, drew the line for now yeah. um, as EMDR-Collective. So um, they can reach us through any of those avenues. That's awesome. Well, this has been really informative, really uh, inspirational, I think, for anyone that's you know going out to to start anything like this. So um, I want to thank uh, Don Delgado once more for coming on. And you know, I really enjoyed the conversation. Absolutely. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for everything that you do for clinicians and, and, oh, and thank you. Love your positive vibes. <laughs> ah, thanks. All right, Don. Take care. Thank you. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Right, that wraps up this episode. Stay tuned for our next episode where we will discuss some of the hurdles, both real and imagined, that block therapists from creating a successful practice. Mm -hmm. 
Lean Towards Joy was created to help heart-centered entrepreneurs start and grow their businesses. We have helped therapists and entrepreneurs across the country navigate HIPAA, LLCs, and removing the hurdles to help them follow their passion. If you'd like to bring more joy into your life and connect with Lean Towards Joy, you can subscribe here or find us on social at Lean Towards Joy. You can also visit our website at leantowardsjoy.com. Thanks for listening.